0: Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm
1: host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal
0: growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host Brian with my co host Ben today's topic, we're going to kind of be blending a couple topics. We had a recent outdoor adventure, and afterwards it kind of brought up a question for us. So we're going to use that question in our adventure to really kind of be the basis of our content today. Mm -hmm. And that question we're going to be addressing is, is there enough food in the world? And I don't mean currently, because honestly, we can go get food whenever we want to. And that's true for millions and millions and millions, if not billions of people But what if all of that went away? What if normal today, grocery stores, what if all that went away? Would there be enough food? Because we so often hear people say, oh, I can go. I know how to hunt. I know how to fish. I'll be all right.
1: Live off the land.
0: Live off land. Is there any truth to that? And that all comes from Ben and I. We recently went out and did some crawdad grabbing. So we're going to tell you all about Crawdad grabbing what that is and our experience recently, and and really talk about why that made us think of is there enough food in this world? But before we dive into all of that, we do need to give thanks. Brian, you just made me a pizza and I ate it and it was
1: so good. And then I had a Dr. Pepper with it, and I had a granola bar, and I had an apple. I am so thankful that I can actually eat enough food to be full. And at times, probably eat too much to be overfull. Like, I'm not sure that when a, when a person or human burps that that uh, food should be a part of that, right? That means you probably ate too much and you're over being full. And I'm just thankful that when we sit down to eat, we truly can eat until either our minds or our stomachs tell us that we are full. And, and we don't just eat what we have in front of us when we walk away um, still hungry and wanting more. And... So thankful that we have that. I I don't want to take that for um, granted.
0: Yeah, that's largely going to be uh, the basis of what we talk about in this episode today of if that ever goes away and, and maybe even address the question, could it ever go away? But people like to plan for it and talk about it. We hear it all the time in our survival programs. So it is easy to get food. It's not true for everybody in the world, but it is true for us here in North America, for most people. Um, And so we're going to address what happens if that goes away. For me, what I'm thankful for today is memories. And memories are so valuable. And I'm so thankful that God didn't make us to where we just have experiences and then we go on to the next one. And and there's no retrospect at all because being able to look back and have memories not only can uh, warm your heart. And, you know, when you think about your children and things like that, you're just trying to take in every moment so you don't forget any of them and try to remember them all. And to be honest, you can't but I feel like the ones that God wants you to remember, the ones that are really important, you do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it takes things to spark those memories, but also memories that were bad. When bad things happen or mistakes that you made, those can make us avoid those things in the future, but not only us, those are things that we can pass on. For example, mistakes we made growing up, if we remember them, and we learn how we conquered them and got better from them. Those are lessons that we can teach to our children and help them to avoid making those same mistakes. Memories are so valuable. And also this activity, this this crawdad grabbing. I have so many memories of doing this as a youth with my friends. Um, honestly, it's... a uh, it's an activity of, of reminiscing for me to go back and do, even in the spots that we go do it. Um, just a, a lot of memories. And I'm so thankful for those good memories of quality experiences in the outdoors as a youth. Yeah, and I get where you're coming from in the memories. I'd, I'd probably add in there, too, that you don't have
1: to start over every time. You know, because you had been before and the memories you have from grabbing crawdads, you're able, when you go back the next time, to take the same things you need to do something similar to have that s- same success and you're not having to completely restart every single time. Yeah,
0: you can even, yeah, you can build on it. Yeah. You can be better the next time. You, right. you can, because of memories of how it went, you can build upon it and make your experiences better. Maybe uh, add gear or get different gear, whatever it may be, but memories or, are so Or valuable. take different
1: people that are better. <laughs> 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 yep.
0: No, um, no. It was a great experience. We can't wait to share it all with you. But before we really get into that, let's address this question. If the modern world came crashing down as we know it, would there be enough food? Would there be enough fishing and hunting and foraging to support the nearly 8 billion people that are on this planet today?
1: Well, you started off earlier by saying that there are areas in the world that don't have enough food. Why why is
0: that? The areas that don't have enough food don't have access to the modern things like we have. They don't have grocery stores, and then in turn they don't have sustainable things like agriculture they don't have cattle herds they don't have gardens and largely that could be because of the environment it could be because they don't have access to seed to even grow anything they may live in a place that never even rains
1: so there is our example when you say that everything can collapse be gone boom done it means that we have lost all of those that you're talking about and so we already have examples that are happening today that we see that there are areas that don't have the agriculture, the gardens, they're not doing those things. They are struggling to not only get enough food to survive, just to get enough to to even eat uh, a meal a week. I mean, it's so limiting and that's where this question comes from is is if we didn't have men and women out large quantities growing would it be livestock? Would it be those plants? Could we actually go out and, and feed our families
0: with what's around us? And obviously, this is all hypothetical. Uh, I, my guess would be yes, for a short time. I don't know what that time would be, month, two month, maybe something like a year. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And a lot of that would be because we live in a fairly fertile place. We have Some skills that maybe other people don't have, as as far as hunting and fishing and 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 guarding, yeah, the knowledge uh, of that, and 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 foraging and all that. But at some point, there are going to be enough people doing that in the same area that I think it would run out. I don't think that our resources are renewable enough for the people that we have. And the reason that I say that is because the farming, the large market commercial farming, that you talk about. It actually increased what's called the carrying capacity of our earth. That's what allow has allowed us to get to this large, nearly 8 billion population of people that we have today. Without modern farming, without modern transportation and moving food thousands of miles in airplanes and in trucks and on ships, we wouldn't be able to support the amount of people that we do support today. We are even moving into things saying, hey, we don't quite have enough farmland. We now know how to grow vegetables and feed families with just water.
1: Right. Wow. Inside buildings.
0: Inside of a building. Right, Right.
1: exactly. Now, when we started talking about this and and thinking about this, I do believe that you and I, Brian, could take our families and, and I think that we could survive off of the land um And I think it's longer than a few months. I, I think it could be in, as long as we would want it to. But the moment that we start adding more people to our clan or our community, that's when the challenges occur. Like when you look at wilderness survival, when you're by yourself or there's a, a few people, it is so doable. And and what I mean is, let's go back all the way to Old Testament. In Old Testament times. God gave the Israelites manna to eat for 40 years. And so God was providing them food nonstop, which is cool. But that's because there were so many people. When you look at John the Baptist in the New Testament, he survived on it. It literally states that he survived on locusts and honey. And you can just see the difference right there. When you have so many people to take care of, there isn't enough food in that area. You call it the carrying capacity. I mean, we fit into that as humans. We fit into what is around us. And when we have a few people, I truly believe that there is enough food. However, when you get into the masses, there's not. Here's another example. In the New Testament, you have two, two times that Jesus fed thousands and thousands of people. One time was 5,000.
0: <clears> well, 5,000 men minus the women and children. So it was much more than 5,000. So thousands and thousands yeah. and thousands, right. He did not... It does not
1: state, let me say it this way, the Bible doesn't say that he brought 5,000 fish or more to feed. He multiplied the scraps. He he multiplied the a few, few fish. Yeah,
0: the few fish that they had. The
1: few fish. He multiplied them. So Jesus, our God, didn't even go harvest the animals. He made more for that group of people. you know. Whereas you and I were in the mindset of we've got to go out and hunt and harvest. We'd have to to feed that many people, you and I would have to go harvest that many animals to feed those families. That's not realistic. You know, like even in the Old Testament, God's sending manna down from heaven. We don't even, I don't even know what food that is. It's God's food. <laughs> but God wasn't just making food appear for the Israelites in the wilderness. Like, he was giving it to them. And I just see that, like, we as a society are so blessed in how God has allowed us to just agriculture alone. And, and, and. The blessings that are poured out, because when that's done, I truly don't believe that as many people as there are, we have enough
0: food for all of us. Right. It's not there. It won't be there. Well, s- speaking of blessings, think about where we live. I'm t- I'm going to say like eight out of 10 houses that you drive by have hobby gardens. They do, yeah. Everybody, everybody says they're gardeners. We have gardens, and it really is, I mean... <laughs> You're growing snacks. I mean, very few people are even growing enough that they're freezing and canning. Most people have hobby hobby gardens. What I mean by that is they are pretty much eating what they're growing. They're not storing it for next year. If they grow a hundred tomatoes, they're eating a hundred tomatoes, that type of thing. And so many people have those hobby gardens, but what a blessing that we live in an environment, a habitat, and we have the resources and space to be able to do that as a recreation almost.
1: Correct. And and I'm not going to get on... This could be a whole nother tangent. This could be a whole nother podcast I'm, I'm getting ready to bring up. But, you know, there are some lost skills of our time. And what people were up against, well, let's say even before the Industrial Revolution, what people were up against were getting too hot, and too cold, being thirsty, having illnesses, getting injured and being hungry. And so not only would we have this hunger, now you have to add in all of these other things that are coming at us just because of our comforts being gone, right. you know? So when you say, is there enough food? No, plus I believe you'd be adding so
0: many more challenges to the table than just the hunger. Well, just thinking from a caloric into intake, you know, a, a family of four, each person's going to average 1,500 to 2,000 calories just to maintain the body weight that they have. That they have, yeah. Just to maintain the energy and the body weight that they have not to be working towards starvation. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to provide six to 8,000 calories a day as a man for your family just by hunting, I mean, that is quite a feat to be taking on without being able to go to the grocery store. It right. really is.
1: Now I see why a lot of these movies show uh, the people when they harvest a deer, they like grab the heart and just begin to eat it <laughs> because they are hungry. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I'd be eating too. It's like that celebration. I've, yeah. I've, I've put out energy. Let me get yeah. some back right now. Thank you Lord for the provision. Exactly. Yeah. You know what led us to this crazy question? We said it was <laughs> we said we went to the lake and we went grabbing crawdads. So let's talk about what that activity is and why it led us actually to this crazy question. You know, you
1: you have been so many times to the lake doing this. Growing up, I my experiences were in creeks and finding crawdads in creeks and once in a while I'd find a crawdad in the creek that might be as long as as my hand maybe, you know. But it was few and far between. You, on the other hand, have spent a lot of time in the lake, and not only are you find, finding crawdads the size of your hand, you've found how? What was one of the biggest you've?
0: I found uh, a few that were a foot long, twelve mm. inches long. You know, dang near a a lobster. Lobster, yeah, it's huge. So you know, where this question came from is is you were like Ben, we need to go, we need to go crawdad grabbing yeah i mentioned it was kind of like a a reminiscing activity for Mm -hmm. me in in memories growing up uh, me and a couple of friends we used to always take our masks and snorkels and fins and while we were camping at the lake swimming around we started discovering these big crawdads and we had been running traps and we loved to eat them we're like well heck every time we flip a rock it's got this big crawdad under it let's see how many we can get well next thing we know We've got 100 of them, and our bucket's overflowing, and we're ready to eat. And this just kind of turned into something that we did four or five times a year. A ritual. Yep. Once we got to college, we would go back, drive back down to the lake, um, and do it as our, our summer ritual. Been several years since I've done it. I've never really taken and introduced you to it. And I said, man, you got to go do this with me. Do you have a set? You say, yeah, I've got mass snorkel fins, all that stuff. So I was like, let's go do this. We set it up. We went and did it. Actually, in... One of my favorite spots, the the spot that I've done it more than any other. But I kind of warned you before we went. I said, Ben, <laughs> this is our goal. Our goal is a hundred. The daily limit is a hundred and fifty. But our our goal was a hundred. Got to have a fishing license. We got our fishing license. This is gonna wear you out, Benny. Mm-hmm. This this will this will whip you, and it doesn't uh it doesn't go fast. Uh, 6 7 hours sometimes before to to do this if you're being really picky only going for the big ones it it can take that long you and I had a lot at about 3 or 4 hours to go do this so I knew you and I are getting older we're not mm. as active as we huh. used to be uh we're starting to feel our age a little more yes and uh I knew this would this would wear us
1: out you know swimming does for me it always has however swimming is different than what we were doing because we were holding our breath a lot, you know, and that's something that, that man, you need to practice uh, when you're going to spend time under the water. If you're out of shape, you cannot stay down under the water very long. Like I had a hard time holding my breath and I think that's what got me more than, than anything. However, when we were done, I was gassed. I had my, I had my left leg was cramping really good. Uh, and my, uh, Quadriceps. In my quadricep, that'll work. Yeah, I just, I was done. Like I, I had I'd gassed out, I was done. And you have to remember, no matter if it's a wilderness survival situation or today modern living, there are two things that we're constantly losing. First is everyone says time. Uh, for me, it's light. You know, it's in a, in a situation that survival, you only have the sun to rely on. Once it gets dark, you really need to shut it down. The other thing is energy. And you're constantly burning that energy. And that's what we did. Like, we were using our entire bodies for this activity, for this task. And so when we got done, I was drained. I was exhausted. And I'm here to tell you that we ate them, but I wasn't full. <laughs> and, and I thought, as much time and energy as we spent on this, Is that even something I would do in a survival situation for my family? Because was the the risk worth the reward?
0: Well, you made the comment as we were eating them, man, this is really good. If we'd been out for several days paddling and you came to camp at the end of the day, like this would be such a treat. Right. But that's kind of where it led us to this question of would this be something we would have to do if we lost all our means of grocery stores, if we lost access to food? And and the answer to me is kind of like, well, no, it would have to be using traps because the amount of energy we expended, not to mention if you aren't really experienced, there's risk with it too. Yeah, there There is is. risk. You could drown, get bit by a snake. I mean, hit by a boat, boat, whatever else. Is the risk in the energy expenditure worse the caloric reward that comes from it? And that's really how you have to think in a survival situation. And that is how animals are actually assessing their situations, whether instinctually or or cognitively out in the wild. Everything that a bird does, a predator does, they are actually selecting is the risk and the energy expenditure that I'm about to put out worth the reward. For example, a bass is a great, great example People always say what if you want to catch a big bass? Use a big bait. And there's some truth to that because bass are. If a 10-pound bass is swimming up and there is a 2-inch crawdad or a 6-inch shad and he has an opportunity to eat both of them, which one is he going to go after? Right. He's going to go after the 6-inch shad because he has to use energy to chase, kill, and catch the shad just as he would the crawdad but he's going to get 10 times the caloric reward as he would versus the crawdad. And that seems crazy and almost seems too calculated, but that really you can, there's so much research and so much, so much science data out there actually showing that predators and animals actually do go through this process of evaluating risk versus reward. Right. No, and that's, that's exactly what we were talking about here today. Like,
1: is there enough food? Is it worth it? And let's talk about what we did to catch these ads because people can do this. You listening, if this sounds fun to you, this is something you can go do. So let's talk through what it is that we did and how we did it
0: um, to kind of just share like how much en- yeah. energy and time that yeah. it truly took. I, re- I really would like to share because I'll be honest, I love, I love this. I was excited to go do it I had so much fun doing it. I was excited to introduce you to it. Mm-hmm. I was a little bummed. Actually, you know, I, I called my buddy that I used to do this all the time, and he was tied up and busy. So I would have loved to have had him there and reminisce a little bit, but it was, it was still great just for the two of you and I to go. And I'm really excited to share this with the audience because I would love for people to go try it. First off, you have to have a place that has crawdads. Correct. And we are fortunate where we live uh, in the White River Basin here in the Ozarks. We have a native species here called the long pincered crawdad, and it is only native in the White River Basin, in, the, in Missouri, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Ozarks. That's the only place that it lives, and it is the largest crawdad species in North America. We Did you know we actually have 33 crawdad species in Missouri? 33, mm, which is crazy because I right? feel like I only see the same two all the time. But we also have the largest one, which is that long pincher. And that's what we're really going for. So being able to go to a place that you know not only has them, but has them big enough that are worth catching and eating.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that right now. Because there are so many you and I left behind because they're about the size of our pinky.
0: Well, there were times every single rock I flipped had one. But yeah, it was like it couldn't pinch me if it wanted to because it's so stinking tiny. Right, but if the
1: tail on that crawdad is the size of your pinky, then let it go. Because there isn't enough reward. Yeah, when you bo- when you boil that thing down, like yeah. there's not a lot left. There's not a lot left, and so uh, we let a lot of them go because they were tiny. So not only do you need to find, like I was telling you earlier, when I'm in the creek, that's that's a lot of the creek size you're finding. There's not a lot of large ones that are going to to fill up not only two adult men but uh, two families or even mm-hmm. one family, right? So yeah, so when you were under the water. You were flipping rocks, you have shared that, but there's probably some things that you need to take and be thinking of before you even get in the water.
0: Yeah, and for me, this has kind of been a process. Like I said, I kind of came about this activity organically just by being out playing as a child. Started out, mask, snorkel, actually no fins, and was able to catch them. You know, just going down three or four foot deep in water. flip. You're flipping rocks. Crawdads, during the day, they're nocturnal. So during the day, they're under rocks. They may dig little holes down in the gravel in the mud. And you're flipping this rock, exposing the crawdads home and, and, and trying to grab them out of there, which is great. You can catch a few with your hands. But then it started to become like, well, how can I make this more efficient? So then I added fins to my set. You're not swimming near as hard. You can swim faster when these some of these crawdads come out. And they're like... <laughs> It's got to be the cheetah of the water. I mean, those suckers are fast, Mm -hmm. fast. So fast, you can't swim with them, you lose them. Then I started adding a stick. And by a stick, I mean, I literally go to the bank, I'd grab a stick and I'd break off 10, 12 inches of it. And what that would allow me to do is lift that rock with one hand and then slide that stick under and pin the crawdad. And then once I had him pinned, I'd flip the rock all the way and then reach in and grab him with my other hand. And that increased my efficiency some. Then I realized, man, I'm still losing a lot of them. Like they can squirm out from me pinning them with this stick. So then I started using, if you've ever been to the pet store, like the green handled mini nets that they what, scoop wire goldfish, handle. wired yeah. handle mm-hmm. nets that they scoop goldfish out of at, at the fish tanks when you buy a goldfish. I started using those. And that increased my efficiency a lot. One, because it has a loop on the end and you can really pin the crawdad down. It's like using two sticks almost. But the end that has the net, crawdads swim backwards. So if you get behind them and they're wanting to go out the back of a rock or something, you can use your one hand and literally they'll scare them right into the net. And that increased my efficiency even more. I was missing less and less. So today I would tell you have a mask, fins, snorkel, and a dip net. Yeah. And the dip net can't be too large. I was using a net...
1: um... A little it, was, too big. It, was, it was a little too big. And the reason it is, is when you go to try to cover the crawdad, you're, there's other rocks. There's more than, than, than just the bottom. There's big boulders. There's little rocks. And so when you try to lay that flat, if you have too big of a net, you cannot get that over the top of that crawdad. And so you do want that smaller green net. Here's some other things, though, that from my experience of Brian taking me out that you must have with you. You need a bucket. You need some sort of container to hold all of the crawdads that you're going to catch. Could you make a hole in the bank, uh, add some water to it? You can, but the issue is that crawdads, not only can they swim, they can also walk. And they can walk and crawl very well, and they can get out of almost anything you put them in. So that bucket needs to have a lid, needs
0: what? to have some sort of uh, yeah device that's going to hold them in and not let them escape. That brings up a crazy memory for me. They know where the stinking water is. I have camped, yes. I have taken a bucket of them, like, 300 yards to camp away from water, and they'll climb out of that bucket at night, and you'll find them 100 yards, and they're beelining straight for the water. Right. They have this, like, instinct. I have no idea how they know, but they know where the water is that they just came from. It's wild.
1: They do. and And another point about the water is when they feel water, they feel free mm-hmm. so you know there's times where like they may be holding on their pinchers may be holding on to the net or you or the side of the bucket but the moment that you put some water on their tail they drop them in they are like releasing and ready to swim away right so you got to have a container to 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 hold all of these and there's different ones um, there's minnow buckets there's just regular buckets there's um there's cage traps there's all kinds of devices you may already have um if you're going to go buy one though You really need to get like a minnow bucket that's going to float something that can be out there in the water with you that can hold them not lose them while you're working and and doing what you're doing under the water
0: i'll tell you kind of my progression of this over the years like i said this is not something anybody taught me this is something that just happened kind of made up and has stuck with me over the decades and i'll do it as long as i'm able to i can't wait to show my children hopefully i'm able-bodied enough to show them when they're old enough to dive down and snorkel. Started out when we'd catch them, we'd literally walk, swim out, walk up on the bank and throw them in a bucket like you're talking about. And then we got to thinking like, man, it'd be nice to just come up. Sometimes you're 20, 30, 40 yards off the bank, depending on how how fast the water drops. It'd be nice to just come up and throw them in something and not have to swim and walk all the way to the bank, especially when you're in fins and you're walking backwards on chunk rock. And so what I found was the old galvanized minnow buckets and they literally, they have an insert that goes down inside a it. So you have your regular galvanized bucket and then inside them is an insert and around the top of that insert is styrofoam. So it's the insert of the minnow bucket actually floats. You can take it out and it floats. And we started taking that with us and I was tying a rock to a rope that was tied to it and just anchoring it off near the area that we were going. And that was great, but what started happening was because it was anchored, waves would roll in or it'd come off the rock and it would beat my bucket up and my lid would pop open and I'd lose half of my catch. So then started taking like basically a fishing inner tube out, anchoring the inner tube and tying the minnow bucket to that. Worked really good. But this time when you and I went, we got more toys. So we took my kayak. Right. Threw my kayak anchor out. And what was really cool about that is we could put everything in the kayak. We could put our cooler, our GoPro cameras, our cell phones, our keys from our truck. We could put all our stuff that we needed in our kayak. And as we were moving, we just grabbed the anchor rope and pulled it with us. Plus from a safety standpoint, we had uh, flotation devices inside the kayak. If something were to happen to one of us, one of us could get the flotation device. If you got tired, instead of having to make your way to the bank, you could just go to the kayak and hang on for a minute. Yeah,
1: and, and two other safety reasons is, if you get an emergency situation, it is faster to get up in the kayak and paddle back than it is to swim. Uh, we tested that. We actually tried that. And two is, is that in an area where you're going, especially if it's at a lake, like we're talking about, there are a lot of other people recreating and using that waterway. And so boats, you have your propellers. If you're under the water, you want those people to know you're there and having a, a, a boat, especially a kayak. You know, uh, having we had an orange life jacket up there, something that people can see that that you're around yeah. that keeps you more safe.
0: If this is something you're going to do a lot, you may even go as far as buying a die flag right. and having a die flag out while you're swimming. We don't do that because we are staying like I'll say 12 feet, like five to 12 feet is about where we're doing this most of the time. Um, used to go a lot deeper, but I don't quite have that in the old lungs and legs anymore. So that's kind of where we focused, but the kayak is a great safety thing. Just letting people know, Hey, there are people out here. They're spending most of their time underwater, but there are people in this area. Be safe. Yes. Yeah.
1: And so now that you have your mass snorkel fins, you know, you got to have that container to keep them in. Something that's going to float, you know, uh, could be a paddleboard, could be your kayak, uh, could be an inner tube, you know,
0: whatever works for you on that safety and and, to help keep all your stuff there with you. Think of it as a home base of uh, when you come up out of the water, you've got something that can save you if you're cramped. If you come up and your legs cramping to hold on to, a place to put your stuff, a place to keep your catch, Mm -hmm. you you need a home base really just for safety, convenience, and efficiency. Right. I guess would be those words. Now, here's three more things that I took with me that I'm glad I did.
1: And the first one is water. You got to have water. Take water with you. Brian and I probably didn't even drink as much as we should have. (laughs) No, I
0: only drank two bottles of water while I was there. Mm -hmm. And I think the whole reason that you're bringing this up is because when you are swimming and you're in the water, you have to make yourself take a break and drink. One, we're having fun. Two, we're not hot. The day that we went. We were under a heat advisory.
1: 106 degree heat index. Right. And so you and I spent most of our time in the water. It didn't feel that way. No. At all. It, it felt completely opposite. I, I kind of kept looking at you like, this is a perfect day to do this. You know what I mean? But dehydration is real in that moment. And so we had to hold each other accountable. Like, we need to go take a break. Let's go take a break. Let's get some water. Let's get a little food in us. Let's get rehydrated and then and let's come back out again. And then Ben's like, no,
0: five five more minutes and then fi- five more minutes and then we will. Exactly. Five more minutes and five, then we'll go take a five break. Five more minutes, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We, we finally got to the break and then we put some some waters in the kayak so we could have them just to come up and drink. But got to thinking back like, man, as a kid, I don't I don't remember taking breaks at all. No. But I should have been. I should have been make your yeah. kids take breaks when they're outside in the heat. Another item that I needed that day was sunscreen,
1: and that's because my back, my head, my bald head—they're white—and I knew being that many hours out swimming, having my back to that sun, uh, I was going to burn, burn bad. Well, how'd that go? Did you? Well, you did brought. You put, did you, you put it everywhere that you needed to? <laughs> I did. I didn't actually put it far enough down my back. However, my <laughs> shoulders, ears, top of my bald head. Um, it worked very well on. You focused a lot on your bald head. I was really worried about top of my head burning because it's painful. Um, For those of my homies out there that are bald, you understand what it feels like to have the top of your head scalded. So um, yeah, sunscreen, um, you know, if you're using sunscreen that doesn't have zinc oxide, then you really need to be like reapplying that. I'm going to say every 30 minutes, but I used something that had zinc oxide in it and turned my head completely white, but it did the job. It worked for the, the five, however many hours, the multiple hours that we were out there. I mean,
0: your your head your head is white. Yeah. It made it wider. Yeah. Every time I came up, I thought Castaway was happening in real life. I thought Wilson <laughs> the volleyball was floating around out there with me. Uh, I want to make sure you saw me. Next time, we take a red marker and, and put, <laughs> yeah, put yeah, Wilson yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. It'll at least be good for TikTok. Here's one more thing that
1: I took with me that... that um, I've started adding. I used to use shaving cream and realize that that just doesn't work for me. But the mask that I own, um, I have several masks and they fog up. And, and I used to spit. I'd take my spit, spit in the mask, rinse it out. And sometimes that would work. But over the over the years, I found that there are products out there that work. Someone told me shaving cream. I've been trying that for a while. It doesn't work. I bought what's called cat crap. And it isn't crap from a cat. And this is a brand name. Cat crap, and it's kind of this greasy. It's a green, greasy material, and you just put a light, light coating on there. You're gonna take a cloth and wipe it back out, and it did such a fantastic job for me. Um, we're not sponsored by them, but for those of you that um, have masks, they're not brand new. They're older masks. You have to, um, you have to take care of them that way so that you can see. If you cannot see what you're doing under the water, then nothing else matters in what we're talking about today because you have to be able to see these crawdads to grab all of them.
0: Yeah, when it comes to masks and snorkels and fins, I actually do have some tips for you. Everybody is always buying new ones. Um, when I got into spearfishing and grabbing crawdads and doing this a lot, I actually got a nice set. And you're not going to find that at Walmart. You're going to have to go to a dive shop um, and, and buy a nice set. And I'm going to say, if it doesn't cost more than $100, then it's probably not super high quality. But even with the $40, $50 ones... The biggest tip I can tell you is when you are done with them, do not leave them in the sun. They are made of plastic and rubber, and the sun will absolutely eat them alive. Don't get any bug spray on or near them. Make sure that you are getting ones that are tempered glass so that if they Mm -hmm. break, they're not smashing your eyes. I have had the same set for 16 years, I think, and they are just as usable today as they were when I got them, but I never, ever... I never leave them in my kayak that's stored outside. I, I would never leave them under a boat cover with the boat stored outside. It's always in the garage or in the house. I never leave them outside, never in the sun. Even when I'm outside using them, when I take them off, I place them in the shade because the sun will absolutely eat that plastic and rubber up, and, and they'll only last you a season or two.
1: Yeah, and you said tempered glass. When you're going out to buy a pair, th- If it is tempered glass, it has uh, that stamped on the lens. Mm -hmm. You'll see it says tempered glass. If it doesn't say that, then I wouldn't get it. And I wouldn't own anything other than tempered glass. There's plastic and all these other things. They do not work very well and they
0: don't hold up. Yeah, totally, totally agree with that. So I guess really, Ben, how did it go for us? Well, we set our goal for 100.
1: But I'm telling you, we filled that bucket and that felt good. We, but we had a full bucket. Um, could we have had a hundred in that bucket? Maybe, but when we got done, we had eighty. Eighty. So a little short, but still good. Right, and and it was perfect for what we were wanting to do yep. for that And
0: day. we went for three hours, and that was honestly about all that we had in us. Right. I, we used to. I used to go for for six hours and and get more than that, but. I don't have that in me today, and three hours was great. It was fun. It was just enough to get – I mean, 80 is a good mess. It's not going to be a, a full meal, but it's plenty to go share with our families, and that is exactly what we did. You know, if, if you were to take uh,
1: your two fingers and put them together, index, middle finger, uh, for anyone listening, you know, there were a few that we found that their tails were about that size. And if we had 80 of those, we're, we're talking – man, you could feed mm-hmm. quite a few people. You know, I think the majority of the ones that we caught were probably going to be the, uh, about the size of maybe an Expo marker, like the width of that Expo marker, maybe a tad bigger on some of them. But they they weren't just huge crawdads.
0: Yeah, and typically you are trying to find those those bigger ones. There were some obstacles that we hit. For me, one, I couldn't dive as deep as I used to. Mm -hmm. I couldn't the water clarity in the spot that we were was not as clear as it used to be a decade ago. There was more silt on the bottom than I ever, ever remember doing this. And you kept asking me, well, what, what do you think's caused it? And my only answer is there are so many more people and so much more commercial development resorts and docks and houses. There's so much more things, human impact happening to that lake, uh, I I could only attest it to that. Fortunately, it's not so bad that we can't still go enjoy and do the activity, but it was different, Ben. I'm telling you, it was much more difficult. The silt was inches thick. When you flip the rock, there was oftentimes you could see the antenna of that crawdad, but you could not see it. You couldn't tell the size of it, where it was going, because it was so, so silty. It was just a a cloud, a brown cloud under the water. Right. No, and it was. And, you know, we actually found...
1: Uh, as we kind of went towards the point, um, there was a little bit, we'll just call it a current. It was just a real light uh, movement of water kind of coming through. And so you had to be strategic. If you would lift your rock towards that point where that current's kind of coming at you, it would help push a little bit of that debris, you know, kind of away. But if you lifted it at you and it's coming at your face, you lost all visual. You you couldn't see. You were in a cloud. Right. And and so you would lose, lose that crawdad
0: but it was fun we got to come home and, mm-hmm. and share it with our families uh, check out our social media we had some videos up there of, of our kids taking the bites and the faces that they made when they ate the crawdads but they had so stinking much fun mm-hmm. helping us with the actual process of, of cleaning these crawdads of, of deveining them of boiling them clean. I mean they had so much fun really just playing and learning about these beautiful creatures that God created and then realizing you know what you can go out and get food to eat. You don't have to go to the store. And I I think there's, we're not talking about that. We're not having some deep level uh, discussion, but these kids are so smart at such a young age and they're picking up and and they're just such a sponge. They realize, hey, my dad left the house with his swimsuit and goggles and he came back with a bucket full of food. Like they they are putting all this together. And, And so as they age, I think there are valuable lessons there but the lesson that you and I got, Ben, is that if this is how we had to feed our family, there's too much energy and work to go into this. We started this process at like 7, 7.30 in the morning as far as traveling, getting mm-hmm. our gear. And by the time I was done cleaning up, Ben, it was like 9 o'clock yeah, at night. And yeah. I hadn't even eaten supper yet except for 40 crawdads.
1: Right. No, exactly. And and that is the point of what we're sharing here. It was fun. I had a blast. Um you know, this activity would be fun to do with a group of people, with a, with a larger family, have everyone go out, collect some, take them back up, cook them, and then add other food that you've brought to it and kind of mix and share and, and eat um, a variety of food. You know, just surviving off of CrowdAd isn't realistic. However, for one to two people in a survival situation, it it would give us the energy we need to go on. So there is some importance to knowing how to do this now. Before we get too far off of of what we just talked about, I want to add a few more things to what I wish I'd have done a little different. I didn't, well, I actually just forgot, I'll be honest. I forgot, I hadn't used my mask in a long time, and I forgot to shave. Well, I'll just say my mask did not seal to my face very well, and I got a lot of water in my mask, and that was another challenge I had. Um, I really wish I would have shaved, if I'd have shaved, it would have got that seal my mask would have worked perfectly. So if you have a mustache, even if you have a beard, you really need to, anywhere your mask is going to be touched on your face, shave that off and you will have such a better time because once water gets in your mask, it really limits what you can see. And you have to constantly be be, uh, getting that out. So shave before you go. Also, wear sandals. Um, We took fins. Those fins are what we wear in the water. But it was nice to have a water shoe, something that we could take when we took those fins off, that we could still walk around on the water's edge on the bank, especially as we were moving the kayak kind of to and from. So where the correct um, footing. And then I just want to remind people, take water. Don't forget your water. Take snacks. Take those things that, that can keep you in the right energy level, the right sugar levels that you need, so you can continue to do this because this is awesome and fun and rewarding. But it will wear you out. It is a challenge. Um, it's not for the faint of heart. And I think that's probably why not a lot of people do it.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny. You say not a lot of people do it my entire life doing this. And even when we are out there, like what, there are people around and they are constantly staring at you like, what the heck are these people doing? Yeah, well, from the bank, all you see is 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 like,
1: you see the hind end going in the air, and then you see the feet sticking up and and the body going under. And And then
0: sometimes there's a battle, you know, trying to catch this crawdad (laughs) as it's jumping from rock to rock, and and then you catch it, and then (laughs) from a distance, you know, they okay, they're going down four or five times, and then they go back to this boat that they have anchored, and then they open it up. What are they doing? I'm sure some people are putting it together, but, I mean, they stare at you for. Long, yeah. long periods of time trying to figure out what's going on. And I've had people come up and ask before, what 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 are you up to? And you just say, hey yeah, we're we're getting some supper, but I want to put this whole my belief that if we lost our modern food systems, that most people would not be able to provide enough food for their family to live for very long. That is truly what I believe. And the reason I'm putting that out there is because I hear time and time again talking to neighbors, friends, our survival classes, some of the people in our programs, people making comments to Ben and I because of what we do for a living. Oh, glad to know you. Or, yeah, with what I know and what you know, we'll be good when all this happens. And people are starting to talk this way because of things that are happening Mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. But it's, unless I know them really well, I don't come out and say this. But this is the podcast. This is the place to say these hard conversations and what we believe is truth. But again, just my opinion. Most people will not be able to provide for themselves if we lose modern food. And I want to put that in perspective. We went to grab crawdads for three hours. We got 80 crawdads between two men. Mm-hmm. We ate them all. Do you know how many calories that crawdad tail that you eat provides for your body? Take a take a guess.
1: Uh one crawdad the size of an
0: expo marker. I'm gonna say fifty. 50- Five calories. Each crawdad tail that you eat provides your body with two calories. Ooh, hoo, hoo, two. Hoo, hoo, hoo. So you and I split about 80. Our kids had a few. We'll, we'll say you and I each had 30. Right. We had 60 calories. Do you know a moderate pace swim, how many calories you burn an hour? <laughs> well, as uh, out of shape and as heavy as I've gotten, I'm going to say, <laughs> Uh well, actually, I don't know. What is it? Five to 500 to 800 Wow. calories per hour swimming. Mm-hmm. We went for three hours. So mm-hmm. we burned somewhere between 1,500 and 2,400 calories, and we took in 60. Right, right. No, that's You are not going to sustain yourself or anyone else for very long at that. And that is going to be true for so much that you have to go do. Even if it's growing 10 tomatoes on a plant, well, how much effort did you put in making sure that that plant was planted, groomed, bugs were picked off of it, it was watered every day, then you pick, then you like how much effort is actually going into what you're getting out of this.
1: Yeah, but Brian, we can we can get real here. Where you and I live, if you're talking about the scenario where we have a huge collapse, you aren't going to be we aren't going to drive to the lake to do this. Like you're, you're probably not going to leave this area well, even, very far.
0: Even if we were, so are another
1: thousand people now because they need food. Well, but w- what I'm saying is we'd have to move there. Mm-hmm. Like you're taking your family now and traveling and you're going to live there. You're not going to live in the the outskirts of the subdivision anymore. You right. know, like you're going to go where you possibly can find some food or you're going to stay put and you're never going to have crawdad. And
0: everybody else is moving there too. Right now, we're the, right now we're the weirdos that are out diving for crawdads. Well, there'd be other people doing it, too. As yeah. soon as they saw us doing it and coming up with food, well, when we went back the next day, there'd be more groups of people. And now you've got this competition, plus yourself. Whatever resources that you go rely on now, killing a deer or two a year for your freezer, well, now you're having to kill one a month for yeah. your family. And so are everybody else. There, I just don't believe... Our earth, our planet can support without modern food systems. We can't support the people that are there.
1: I agree. I'd add in also that um, in a survival situation, you and I and our families, we could we could live off of crawdads, but we would maximize our energy and we would use traps. Mm. Um, yeah, using you'd have traps to move to passive. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and allowing the traps to work, um, that would be the most successful. Way. And it would be rewarding. I mean, our calorie intake um, would go up because... We're not burning much energy. We're going and doing something else. Maybe we're going out and hunting for deer, whatever that is. So um, that would be the best way to to do this would be to use traps instead of snorkeling and swimming down. However, if you've never done this, whew, you really
0: need to try it. Yeah. Even if let's, it's only in four or five feet of water. Well, let's, let's move to present out of the hypothetical and into present times. Let's go. People should go do this. They should. Families should go do this and try this because there's more than just grabbing crawdads like the spot we picked to put our stuff on the bank that you know big sycamore tree reaching out casting shade find a creek a river a lake whatever it is take your family and go hang out there this was a public army corps of engineers campground pay your cheap four dollar day pass to get in there and take your family out there because there's other things you can do besides just that right there is so much and, and it does it depends on the location you're going
1: to where we were at you know the area itself, not even talking about the water, has so much to offer for families and kids, which is awesome. But then going into the lake, there are swim areas. Um, there are people that made their own swim areas. They took their own floats, and and now they have lily pads you can play out on. But going out and just being in the water, not, not even swimming, Just we had a guy that actually took his chair out. Uh, he's probably in about two foot of water where that chair was, was underwater, but his uh, from about his belly button up wasn't. And he sat there and he watched us the entire time. I don't think he got up. Maybe to get another drink, maybe.
0: He, yeah. He got up to, to grab another adult beverage and that was the only reason that he got up. You know, and th- there is so
1: much to do. And and before we even talk about, like, why it's important to to go do this, these little activities don't have to be as in-depth as what Brian and I went and did. You know, in four feet of water, you'll find rocks, and all you have to do is flip a rock. Mm-hmm. You know, you may, you don't even need If you can see through the water by standing there, you don't even need a mask. If you're going to get a little bit deeper, it's nice to have a mask. You could go in that shallow water. You could flip some rocks, and you could start finding not only the crowd ads, but all the critters and creatures that call that place home. Right. And that's what is so beautiful for me. Like, yeah. it is a whole
0: nother world. Dude. That's why I fell in love with free diving. When you go under the water, well, scuba diving, free diving, anything, spending t- it is like you just left the world you're in and all you did was put your head under the surface. But when you go down there, like the bass that are coming up and checking us out, there are species of fish that we saw we're trying to figure out today. I can't figure out what they were. It's driving me crazy. Mm-hmm. But you are experiencing this whole other world. You are watching how these fish are interacting with you? You're watching how they're interacting to the rock sounds that you're making, to the crawdads coming out, how they're interacting with each other. You're in. You are in this whole world. You're learning. You're taking it in. It is so fun to experience because all of that is happening and going on right now while you're doing whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, listen to the podcast.
1: You know, that's right. My favorite, my favorite part of that day was watching. The bluegill. And I'm not a huge fan of bluegill. I love to go bass fish. And so when I catch them, they make me mad. But let me tell you, when I was down there laying on the bottom of that lake, trying to flip rocks and and trying to find crawdads, you'd have these bluegill that would move in and they would literally just be swimming right next to your face. And they knew exactly what you were doing. They knew you were flipping rocks, and they knew that once we flipped the rocks, there might be some food that comes out. It was
0: like we trained them that day. It was like a pup. It was like I had my dog there, my my
1: trained dog. And you were going, treat, treat, you want a treat? Yeah, it was so awesome. But these bluegill, they would just come hang out with you. And if you moved really fast or jumped or did something sporadic, of course the fish. But when you were slow and smooth and methodical about what you were doing, like you started having these fish move in. Matter of fact, Brian... Saw a four pound bass. I saw, I'm going to say it's about two pounds, and it was only about an arm length away from mm-hmm. me, You know, that was my favorite part though is just watching these fish watch me, how we interacted together. They were so comfortable with me that I actually caught a bluegill in my net. I just had my net hanging out. He was swimming over the top of it, and I just gently raised it up and he sat there, he sat there swimming. And I and I took him all, all the way out of the water just to see if I could do it. It's just being under the water with, with those fish, uh, eh, so much fun. I mean, that alone was, was awesome.
0: Yeah. We stopped to take a break to eat lunch, and we're just sitting there on the shore, and the, the water's lapping up. We're sitting there in the shade, and you made the comment, man, this is just about as good as being in the water. Like, all we were doing was sitting there. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's so important for people to go out and spend time outdoors around bodies of water, in particular, is what we're talking about in this episode. You can picnic with your family. Yes. You can swim. You can go as far as grabbing crawdads, but you can fish. You know, and, and a and lot not... of these campgrounds have playgrounds. If your kids get bored, they go play on the playground. Exactly. And it doesn't cost a lot of money. That's
1: what's so cool about it. A lot of these places are actually free. Mm-hmm. You just need to take whatever food and water and equipment you want. Right. So it is cost effective for families and the benefits are endless. I mean, they have a lot of these places have restrooms that you can use. So you're not going to have to be
0: nervous about, well, what if I need to go? Um, (sighs) Yeah. Don't, don't overlook campgrounds as a place just to go recreate for the day. Right. They'll let you in to do that. Right. You don't have to be camping there. You can go recreate for the day. They, they have parks and some of them have sand volleyball courts and basketball courts. But you can play in the water. The lake is right there. The, the river is right there if the campground's on the river. Something that we as a culture are awful at and that God calls us to do is to rest. Mm-hmm. And when you go out there, you feel that. Even though you may be busy swimming or fishing, throwing rocks, skipping rocks, you may be busy having fun. You're gaining rest. And then to have the freedom of, hey, I'm not really doing anything important, so I can just go sit down on the shore for a second and watch the water lap up on the rocks. I think that's the rest that God's talking about. Mm -hmm. Resting in him, resting in what he has created and those moments when we're not working, those moments when we're not cooking supper, those moments when we're not trying to please someone, but we're just out in creation, enjoying the things that he has made and and enjoying yourself because he made you too. So get out and have some of those restful moments. And if your eyes feel heavy, close them and take a nap.
1: Oh, you're making me want to do that right now. You know, giving him the glory, giving him the thanks, that's another way to rest. And laying there, feeling the way you feel of, of a good tired, you know, what glory that's just thank you god thank you god for that and that opportunity yeah um i do want to share here too that taking your family to the to any kind of water um is rewarding it is fun um i guess this is kind of my announcement now if you're gonna go do this so watch your kids watch your kids have them wear life jackets um you can't you can't take some of this stuff um too lightly around our waterways and And another thing is, is clean up after yourselves. You know, Brian did a great job of finding things under the water. Um, We're looking for crawdads, but he found two fishing rod combos, found some glass bottles. We found some fishing lures, you know, throw those up on the bank when you're done, throw them all in a trash bag, take them home and throw them away. You know, clean, clean your areas up, leave it better than you found it. No, I didn't throw them away. I brought that
0: fishing rod home for your son. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I guess spoiler alert—I threw it away. Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I got rid of it. Thanks though. That yeah, was real nice yeah, of yeah. you. Thanks, appreciate it. All but, covered in moss and, and unfunctional. He exactly. didn't think it was funny as I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. There's there's so many benefits, Ben. You're getting exercise, whether it be hiking around the shore, mm-hmm. swimming. Mm-hmm. You're getting exercise while you're out there doing this. You're 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 getting entertainment that may be different from the iPad, the TV, the books. Something that is engaging your mind and your body in a different way. There's so much to be learned just by interaction, interacting and experiencing nature. Mm-hmm. You you cannot devalue only not only for yourself but your children. I mean, please get them out there, and it doesn't have to be some structured grand idea. Just let them go be out there. They're gonna flip a rock and see a roly poly, and now they learn where roly polies live, and like they're gonna start finding frogs and realize. Oh, frogs like a little bit of shallow water with a little bit of grass cover. They're going to start putting all of these things together and it will benefit them for their entire life. It's going to exercise their mind, their body, even their spirit, because they're connecting to what is created. They're gaining skills. Their swimming is getting better. They learned that you can eat crawdads. They learn how to cook crawdads. All of this adventure is learning at the same time, and, and there is immense, immense value in that. Well, why you're so passionate about
1: it, Brian, is because your parents did that for you. Yes. and Thank you, Mom and Dad. Right, and and you're doing that, uh, you know what, since you said that, thank you, Mom and Dad, i got to say that too, because <laughs> they took me to the creek and, and exposed me to that. So, you know, without v- them doing that, without our memories of that, we wouldn't even be having this podcast today to be even be talking about Absolutely. it. So, There's so many benefits.
0: Yeah. yeah. It, it literally could set the purpose and calling of their life into action, into mm-hmm. a career like it has for you and I. So, so yeah, get, get them out and do that. And what were your takeaways from all this? Was it worth it for you? Are you glad you went? Do you think I'm crazy for taking you and doing it? Uh, are you sore? <laughs> so I'll answer, are you sore? <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: today, uh, how many days ago was it? Um, it's been a few days. Yeah, a few days. I feel fantastic. I woke up today feeling better than I have in a long time. However, the day
0: after, <laughs> and even the day after that, I, I mean, I felt like I was, I was hit by a truck. I think your first text to me that morning was, I am a wreck, yes. period. Yes, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> I,
1: I literally felt like I had been hit. Um, every muscle in my body was sore. Um, it takes a I mean, it takes a lot of energy and work. I mean, and you're putting your body in some pretty crazy positions like... I was trying to keep from doing a somersault, you know, under the water, like your feet get up over you and you're using your core muscles and, uh, which is so healthy. It's so good. And I'm so glad we did it. So, um, I was sore. Was it worth it? Yeah, absolutely. I had a blast. I'm, I can't wait for my son to be able to, um, swim. He can swim. He's a great swimmer, but he's not old enough to, to go do it yet. He's right. just a little, little too young to be able to go to the depths we were doing to to do some of this. Now, have we been looking for crawdads in the creek? Yes, and that's a good good place to start with your children. Is that shallow water, real clear shallow water? Start them there, and then as they get you know into the teens, there maybe even maybe in fifth grade, maybe ten years old up, you know, start introducing them to that. Let them get out. Um, Would I do it again? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. If not, multiple times in a year for sure. Once a year, we've got to plan it. We got to make it happen. Um, you know. For me personally, just kind of wrapping this up and and coming to where we're at, this has been on my heart since we've been talking about this, this whole food thing. And this really comes from Psalm 136, verse 25. And it goes, who gives food to all flesh for his mercy endures forever. You know, there may be people in this earth right now struggling um, with getting food Um, when they do. I truly believe it is from the Father. I believe it's from God. And any time in any survival situation that we may find ourselves in, the knowledge that we have is from him that we've gained. The skills that we have is because he's placed them there. We've practiced and we worked. When we find food, I truly believe it's because of him. It's, it's put there by him. It's from him. It's of him. Um, and so at the end of the day, if, if there is ever a time um, when you need food, even if it gets into this crazy uh, scenario that we've talked about today, you may not ever feel full again like you you do in this modern time, but God will give you the food that you need when you need it. And if not, then he's calling you home. And so I don't want people to be in fear, um, to be worried about the food. Um, if he's not calling you home, then he's going to provide. You have to be trustworthy enough to, to be aware and, and be ready to do the work. You know, it may take you more calories than, than it is to get the food, but you're not only probably getting that food for yourself, you're probably getting it to support the people that are around you,
0: and there are benefits and rewards to that as well. So, In the meantime, how I think we can give praise and, and glorify him while we have access to food, if you are blessed to have that, when you sit down as a Christian and you pray for your meal, one, pray for every meal, two, Don't do it as a ritual. Do it as true praise. Do it as, you know what? I did choose this, and I didn't have to work too hard for it, and it's really stinking good. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this meal before me. Thank you for the people that you get to sit around and share it with. And do that with a sincere heart, not just as a ritual or something that you do each time. Do it out of sincerity and praise for God the Father that gave it to you. This whole experience was a blessing. From having bodies that were able enough to go do it, having the time to go do it, still having the gear to go do it, and then being able to find them and come and share them with our family. That was honestly the best part. Our kids didn't go with us. They were uh, had one in school. They were all out doing their, their different things. But we brought our families together, our wives and our children, and we shared. We shared the experience of cleaning them and cooking them and eating them. And that was the most special thing. Those are the memories that I talked about in the beginning that I'm so thankful for. We took pictures, we took video, and, and those are things that I will hold on to to make sure that I m- make those memories something that sticks in my mind. And that's what I want all of you to do listening. It can be difficult to carve out the time and to put in the effort to plan even a day adventure, but please do it. You will not regret it. There is just so many benefits to spending time in the outdoors with the people that you know and love. We just beg that you carve out the time to do that. If crawdad grabbing isn't it, then just go down to the park and spend some time at the park. It doesn't have to be crawdad grabbing. That's just an adventure that we went on recently that we wanted to share with you. If you have questions for us, maybe about masks, snorkels, or, or the particular nets that we're using, please reach out to us, m be outdoors. At gmail.com is a great way to email us. You can reach out on Facebook or Instagram, just direct message us on there. Follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well. We'll be putting videos up of our experience, some of the crawdads and our kids out having fun, getting pinched, crying every once in a while. That is kind of makes for a little bit of an adventure when you're putting toddlers in the mix. But we are just so thankful that you listened today, hit the automatic download and subscribe button on whatever platform. If you have an extra minute, please leave us a review. That helps us rank up the charts so other people can find our podcast. That is it for this episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. But between now and that time, we hope that you remember that you are meant to be outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandel. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.